So Jesus, thank you for its amazing good news. And we ask that in these next few minutes, you help us to understand what Easter really means to us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. How are we doing, Presbyterians? All right. Presbycostal, that's what we're always going for here. And, uh, you know, the Bible says in heaven it's every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping God. So thank you, New Hope Revival. Thank you, Pastor Alexis, for your vision uh, to be here. It's just awesome to be the family of God together. And we're going to do some more music in a little bit, but first, me. Um, and I want to say hello to those in the 1115 service and our middle schoolers, high schoolers, as well as those of you at home. I recently saw some pictures of street art that transforms rundown parts of cities to make them more vibrant so that you would go from this to this or this to this. Like that's way better, right? That's Easter. That's what, the, that's what we celebrate today. That's what Jesus' resurrection means, the renewal of all things. See, our expectations about what Easter is are actually really too low most of the time. And a lot of what we think about Easter actually isn't in the Bible at all. In churches, Easter is seen as this, well, Jesus died to pay the price for our sins, and now we're forgiven and we can go to heaven-ish. That's like 10% of what Easter is about. Uh, Easter is about the total transformation of you, me, and this whole world. Not just things like that things might get a little bit better, but that God has begun a giant makeover. That with Jesus' resurrection, God began the making new of all things. The process of renewal began with the resurrection, continues today to make all things new. Professor uh, Tony Campolo talks about being in church one day, and after a guilt-laden sermon on giving to his church, he decided that he would give his speaking fees to the church for as long as his current car lasted, which he didn't think would be very long because it was, the engine was dying, the tires were bald, it was a mess. In fact, it was so bad, he said, when students came to him and said, I think I need to break up with my girlfriend, but I don't know how to end the relationship, he would say, take her out in my car, that will do it. Right? So he said, I'll give as long as it lasts. He said, that stupid car would not die. Well, a year later, he had to drive it 120 miles to speak at a church, and he thought, surely this will do it, right? Sure enough, when he got there, one of the tires was flat. So he thought, this is awesome. You don't replace tires on a car that's only, like, worth 100 bucks. But while he was preaching, one of the church people noticed the flat tire, called the mechanics to come fix it. So when Tony got out of the church, this guy was standing there with this big smile on his face. He said, what do you think? And Tony said, why don't you mind your own business? Right? The renewal that Easter promises is not like that. Not that things just get marginally better. Jesus' resurrection is the first, but it is not the last instance that God has begun the complete transformation of you, me, and this entire world Jesus, it began with Jesus' resurrection. It continues today, not in heaven when we die, right here, right now, until he returns. That's Easter. In the, in the Bible, uh, you guys are awesome. I'm just not used to preaching to such life. Um, <laughs> you guys are always awesome, so I, should, I shouldn't have said that. Um, so not in the notes. Um, in the Bible, when his disciples see him raised from the dead, it says that they were frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. You can understand. He said to them, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Still didn't believe. So he said, do you have anything to eat? 
They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it in their presence. Very specific detail, right? Like broiled fish, not baked, right? So- sounds like an eyewitness account. And the point of it is not to eat a low-fat diet, right? The point is that Jesus was raised in a physical body, not a spirit. He could eat physical. And in the bulletin, I've given you two pages worth of reasons to believe Jesus really was raised from the dead. So I encourage you to read that list. Not now, because I'm talking, but, you know, like... Take it home. Some of the books, maybe read some of the books I've listed there and consider that maybe the only thing keeping you from believing the resurrection is that you are clinging to a 300-year-old European paradigm, enlightenment paradigm, that says there is no such thing as a supernatural world. And while that paradigm has helped us cure diseases and go to the moon, it might be wrong about the supernatural part. Because surely the God that created all of this could recreate all of this as well which is why Jesus is raised on the first day of the week. It goes back, it's hearkening back to the first chapter of the Bible where God begins his creation on the first day of the week. And at Easter, when Jesus was raised from the dead, God began his re-creation, his new creation on the first day of the week, starting with Jesus' resurrection, continuing today until he returns. See, resurrection is about bodies, physicality, matter, not metaphor. Even when we die, we're going to be raised not as disembodied spirits floating around on clouds, playing harps all day, the eternal church service in the sky. Yeah, no, 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 no. That's, that's boring for one thing, right? And it's not, it's not in the Bible. It's Greek. It's Plato. It has nothing to do with the Bible. We are raised in a new physical body that will never know death or suffering or pain again. You will get the body you always wanted. Right? Like, I'm going to get my hair back. I'll be so handsome, right? You'll be like, wow, Scott. I'll be like, yeah, I know, right? Right? (laughs) And we will live on a renewed earth like this earth, but without all the junk and pain. Because to Jesus, matter matters, which means the stuff of our lives matter. Marriages matter. Friendships matter. Sex matters. Injustice, poverty. This world matters. Because see, Easter is not so much about life after death. It's about life before birth. It's about life... I'm sorry, life before death. It's about life after birth. It's not about life after death. It's not about going to heaven. It's about heaven coming here. And it's not going to be finished until Jesus returns, but God has already started the process, started it that first Easter. So maybe it's a little bit like this. Like it started, but it's not done. But he has already begun the process of renewing two things. The first is our world. Jesus' physical resurrection means matter matters, which means this world matters. So God is out to remake our world so that injustice and racism and poverty exist no more, which is why abolition and civil rights and hospitals were all started and led by Christians. It's why the injustice of South African apartheid was undone without the bloodbath that everyone was expecting, in part because at the center was an African bishop named Desmond Tutu who began every morning with three hours of fervent prayer. It's why today Christian organizations are on the forefront fighting poverty and sex trafficking and modern slavery. See, when you know you're going to be raised from the dead, not even death scares you, which makes you dangerous. Resurrection will always get you into trouble in all the right ways. Now, Christians haven't always done this, but we're supposed to. We're called to because With Jesus' resurrection, God began his making new of all things, and it's supposed to continue through us. Our job is to participate in it so that it is on earth as it is in heaven. Turns out he meant that literally. 
Which brings me to the second thing Jesus is renewing, and that's you and me. Because, see, Jesus doesn't want good people. He wants new people, people who are becoming like him. So never confuse being good with having met Jesus. They're not the same thing. In the Bible, when, when people met Jesus, you know, they were, they were astonished, they were angry, they were frustrated, they were irate, they were inspired, but they were never bored. You will not see this verse in the New Testament, and behold, they were bored. Right? It's just not there. If it's boring, it's not Jesus. He is out to transform you. So think of it this way. If this is you now, this is the renewed Easter you. Like, wiser, more colorful and alive and vibrant and all of that stuff. This Christmas, we were with my wife's family, and my nephew is proudly antisocial, and he has a T-shirt that said, I said hi to you. That's enough social interaction for one day. <laughs> so his mom got him this other T-shirt that we thought was kind of funny. Sorry I'm late. I didn't want to come. <laughs> uh, which is honest and perhaps describes maybe some of you who were dragged here against your will today. You ever feel like that? That life is just kind of, <laughs> Jesus' promise is that you and I will be renewed to be everything God created us to be. Jesus will take even our wounds, our hurts, and he will use them and force them to be the eventual servants of our joy. In the text I just read, Jesus shows his wounds to his disciples. You've got to ask, like, why are they still there? Like, why are they still there? In a resurrected body, wouldn't those wounds be gone? I think they're there in part as a reminder that when the disciples saw those nails go into Jesus' hand on Good Friday, part of what died with Jesus was their agenda for Jesus. Because, see, what they wanted for Jesus was that he would raise an army and kick out the Romans who were occupying their country. After his death, two of his followers say, but we had hoped he would redeem Israel. So much pain in that line, we had hoped. We had hoped to have kids, but then the doctor said. We had hope for all of our dreams, but then I got laid off. I had hoped I would go to this college, but didn't get in. I would hope, had hoped that the disease would be cured, but it wasn't. See, they had hoped that Jesus would redeem them from suffering and disappointment. Instead, Jesus redeems us through suffering and disappointment. And unlike every other religion where the gods stay up in heaven, safe, away from suffering, away from pain, they never get scratched or hurt. Our God in Jesus takes all the suffering and pain that the devil can throw at him, absorbs violence and hatred, death and failure, political oppression, religious and racial bigotry, all of which was present at the crucifixion. And he uses them to pay the price for our sins and conquer death by rising again. It is the ultimate judo move where you take the force of the enemy and turn it back against him to defeat him. God uses the things that are meant to defeat us to seal our victory. And what died with Jesus was the disciples' agenda. But what they got back, what they got back was a much, much deeper hope. Because see, if our hope is to be spared difficulty and hardship, well, that is a frail hope. Because those things are going to come to us in a fallen world. But if our hope is that God will take what's meant to destroy us and turn it around and make it the servant of our joy, now we are fearless. Now we're invincible. Because even bad things, even bad things will be used for our good over time. What that means is, what resurrection power means is that hope happens especially in places that don't seem very hopeful. When early Christians were trying to figure out their brand, you know, their logo, because it's, it's not just... Nike and Pepsi that do that. Um, when they're trying to figure out their logo, they considered a lot of things. They considered a rainbow. They considered a dove. They considered fish and loaves. But they landed on a cross. 
an instrument of torture, death, and political oppression. Death on a cross came slow, and it was bloody and gory, and it was excruciatingly painful. It'd be like gathering around a Nazi gas chamber. And the Romans used the cross as a way of saying, don't mess with Rome, Caesar is Lord, remember that. But the Christians chose it almost as a mocking logo back to the Romans that said, no, Jesus was raised from the dead, which means Caesar isn't Lord, Jesus is. Jesus' resurrection means that the two most hopeful places in history are a graveyard and a cross because God robbed the grave and used Jesus' death as the means of our salvation. And whether you can see it right now or not, Whatever cross you are carrying, Jesus can, and he will, if you let him, make that thing the eventual servant of your joy. God, that's what Easter means. And God is going to use, God will use our, even our mistakes, God will use our failures, God will use our screw-ups, which is really good because we all make mistakes. Sometimes they're little, sometimes they're big. A couple months ago, there was a Chicago news station that was doing a story on the Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang, Korea, except someone made a mistake on the graphics, so it said, P.F. Chang. <laughs> like, I had no idea that the Olympics were held in a Chinese restaurant. That's just, how convenient is that, right? We all screw up like that. They got all kinds of emails, right? We all screw up like that, and there's always people around to point it out. But Jesus' resurrection power transforms our mistakes into pathways for God's purposes. Young man who grew up in our church, his name is Jeffrey, graduated from college last year and was drafted to play baseball with the, with the Rockies. But on the very first day of spring training, he got injured. So he went from the high of being drafted to the low of being injured. It turned out to be a season-ending injury, first day of spring training. He spent the rest of, he spent, he spent a bunch of weeks in Arizona in the Rockies rehab facility getting rehabbed. He was frustrated. He was discouraged. He was depressed. So his mom, being a good mom, thought going to church would help. So she'd recently read a book by a pastor named Rick Warren who leads a big church in uh, lots of young people. It's called Saddleback uh, in, in California. But his mom got confused and instead told Jeffrey to go to a church called Camelback, which she thought was in Arizona. Saddleback, Camelback, California, Arizona. What's the difference, right? It's all the same thing. Well, shockingly, it turns out there actually was a church named Camelback in Arizona. And so Jeffrey went, super small church. The youngest people there were like in their 60s and Jeffrey's like 22, right? So kind of out of place. And the sermon that day was on peace, which he needed to hear. But the amazing thing was the man that Jeffrey just happened to sit next to was named Bill and he'd been drafted back in 1959 to play baseball and played seven years in the minors. Could there have been a more perfect person in that moment in Jeffrey's life to sit next to in church? Bill took Jeffrey out to lunch after church, encouraged him all through his rehab training. Now this year, Jeffrey is back in spring training. He's doing great. Bill's still in his life, continues to encourage him, continues to mentor him. His mom said it was God's holy appointment Maybe not what we were praying for at the moment, which was a fast return to home run hitting, but Bill continues to care for and walk alongside Jeffrey in the ways that he needs. And his mom ended her email to me saying, see, good things happen when you go to church. <laughs> God did not spare Jeffrey the trial of a season-ending injury. Instead, Jesus met him in the trial, showed him that he was there no matter what. All of this from his mom's mistake, right? Now, you may want to go, well, maybe it's just a coincidence. Serious? Like, wrong church, wrong state. His mom couldn't have screwed it up worse, right? But somehow there is this church that exists, and he just happens to sit next to the perfect person. You have to work pretty hard to say it's coincidence. A better explanation 
is that this is resurrection making all things new power, where a mistake becomes the pathway to our wholeness. See, our expectations about Easter are way too low if we just think of it as a holiday about some vague hope or about life after death. It's the promise that with Jesus' resurrection, God began the transformation of you, me, and this planet, and it takes what is meant to destroy us and uses it to be the making of us, starting with the resurrection, continuing today until he returns. Recently heard a man named Eric, who is connected with my former church, talk about how in 2010, his doctor told him to buy a funeral plot, he was, or a, a, gra- a, a, a burial plot, because he was going to need it soon. Eric weighed 340 pounds. He had super high blood pressure, cholesterol, uh, type 2 diabetes. He took $1,000 worth of medicine every month. And all of that, though, is just a manifestation of the pain on the inside. Childhood wounds felt unloved, enormous amounts of shame, so he withdrew from people. He was super lonely. And one night after a really difficult business trip where he had to try to fit himself into ridiculously small airplane seats and where the flight had to be delayed while they looked for a seatbelt extender that would fit him, he got, Eric got home and he's just filled with self-loathing and pain and shame. And he did something he'd never done before in his life. He prayed. And his prayer was that God would kill him. But then suddenly, as he was praying that, he had this incredible sense that there was someone in the room with him, and he knew it was Jesus, and he felt this incredibly deep sense of being loved in a way he'd never felt loved before. And he'd never gone to church before, never prayed before, but when he woke up the next morning, he decided that he needed to get a Bible and read it cover to cover. Took him a month to do it, and when he finished, he had another one of these incredibly intense senses that someone was in the room, that it was Jesus, and that he was loved beyond all he could even imagine. And, 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 so, and then, we, so they said, well, whoever you are, I surrender to you. When he woke up the next morning, he did not want to die. He wanted to live. So in a way, God answered his original prayer. The old Eric died, and in his place was a man who chose life. Feeling loved by Jesus like this gave him more confidence, gave him a little more courage to reach out and hire a nutritionist. The nutritionist told him to go get a dog at the local shelter to get him out more and to make him a little bit more social. So Eric went to the local shelter and he said, I'd like an obese middle-aged dog (laughs) so that we have something in common, right? Eric got the dog and he said over time formed this bond with the dog that he'd never experienced with another human or animal or anything. They began to go on walks, later on runs. Eric lost a ton of weight, got off all the meds, no longer has type 2 diabetes. The dog lost weight too, so it was good for the dog. Eric eventually ran a marathon, came out of his shell, became more social. Eventually, a woman in my former church made a video, a movie about Eric as a promotion for the shelter. Then some woman that Eric had dated in high school randomly saw this video on the internet. Eric and she had lost touch, randomly sees this movie. They reconnected 40 years later fell in love, and they got married. Eric was made new. Not just physically. This is not like a weight loss story. The physical changes just reflected the bigger transformation on the inside. Feeling Jesus' love made him more confident, more alive, more courageous, more, more, more joy. Hallelujah. That's Easter, resurrection, the making new of all things. Eric didn't become a different man. Eric became Eric the Eric God always intended him to be. Now, your story will be different, but we've all got something in our lives that need to be renewed. What is it for you? A marriage? I've seen dozens transformed. Bored? 
Jesus will open up adventure. Problems in school, in career, a mistake, a failure, Jesus can make it a pathway to your joy. So if you know Jesus, ask him to renew you. And like Eric, who when nudged, got the dog, got the nutritionist, follow Jesus' nudges as steps toward your transformation. And if you don't know Jesus, do some research. Read one of the books I listed in the bulletin there. Or like Eric, pray to the Jesus that you do not believe in yet and discover that he is not in the religious business. He's in the renewal business. I'll close with this. Uh, Last year during spring training, ESPN showed this picture of a baseball fan wearing a retro Houston Astros uniform, jersey. And boy, don't those colors just scream, 1975, right? Like Bee Gees and all the rest, right? And you can see it's a special jersey. It's a particular jersey, number 34, Nolan Ryan, the legendary pitcher, right? But what the reporters pointed out was what this guy doesn't seem to notice is that the guy next to him is Nolan Ryan, Like, seriously? Now, now maybe, maybe he knew and he was just being respectful, but even still, the body language there, right? It's just, it's, that's me. That's us. My expectations are way too low. I'm not seeing the extraordinary possibilities. I'm not seeing the fact that Jesus is right beside me. Jesus, with all of his renewing, remaking, resurrection power, Jesus, with all of that power that was unleashed that first Easter, where death lost its sting and the grave lost its victory, hell was defeated, darkness derailed, the devil demoted, hope got vindicated, the prophets validated, soldiers got aggravated, disciples got animated, sin lost, shame died, joy soared, love won. And what that means is that Jesus is now in the business of transforming our pain into purpose, wounds into weapons, weakness into strength, tragedy into triumph, because that's just what he does. Jesus replaces sadness with gladness, resurrects what is fallen, renews what is old, redeems what is irredeemable. He reanimates what is tired, rescues what is oppressed, restores what is broken, and revives what is dead. Because on that first Easter, our God robbed the grave. Our God robbed the grave. And what that means for you and for me and for this world is our resurrected king is making all things new. Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much for that amazing promise that you are making all things new. Make us new, Lord. And through us, make this world new the way you always wanted it to be. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.